Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bibles today, I want to ask you to take them and open them with me to the New Testament book of Philippians for this morning's message and for the time that we have together to Philippians chapter one for our message here this morning. Uh, 10 years of ministry, man, God has been so faithful over these past 10 years and we have been greatly blessed, I believe, over the last two weeks to hear from our founding pastor, uh, Pastor Randy Spencer, and then our former pastor, Pastor John Wellborn. Both of those men preached on subjects. Um, They had complete freedom in the pastors of scripture they would choose and that type of thing. But both of them preached on subjects that were by my direct request. I, I don't normally do that. But as I prayed about this season of ministry and celebrating 10 years and thinking about where God is leading us, I reminded them of a biblical pattern that we see in the Old Testament, and I asked them to to really expound upon that as they shared God's word with us. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but in the Old Testament, every time God's people are at a place of transition, every time God's people are at a place where God is getting ready to do something further in them and through them than what they currently realize, God brought them to really a three-step process to prepare for that next season. It's a process of remembrance, a process of spiritual renewal, and then a process of recommitment. It's a time of remembrance to remember what God has done, to remember his faithfulness and his goodness, to not lose sight in the midst of life and circumstances and busyness and challenges, to not lose sight of all that God has done in the past. But it's also a time of spiritual renewal. Yes, we remember God's faithfulness, we remember what he's done, but there's a time of making sure that our relationship is restored to God. All the time we see throughout God's word, before God asks anything of us in the sense of a task or a job or a purpose, God says, first and foremost, I want you to be right with me. I want you to be in a right relationship with me. And frankly, there are some of us here today, before God can give us that task or that mission or clarify that purpose in our life, God is calling us to have a right relationship with him. But then once that relationship's restored, God then calls them to recommit to the task and the purpose that he has in store for them. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. Moses, for example, when he's leading the Israelites, he comes to his point of death and he he knows that his time is drawing near. He gets all the Israelites together. He reminds them of God's faithfulness. He calls them to be restored to a right relationship with God. And then he reminds them of the task to go forward in faith to claim the promised land that God had promised them many years ago. Joshua comes on the scene. Joshua begins begins to serve and to lead. And again, Joshua at the very end of his life, Joshua chapter 24, he knows that his days are numbered. He gets all the Israelites together. He reminds them of all the great things God has done. He points them to being restored to a right relationship. In fact, he challenges them with that off-quoted statement, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will what? We will serve the Lord. His calling there was to be right with God. And then he calls them forward. Don't forget what God is calling you to do. Last week, we saw from the book of Haggai how God's servant Haggai went to the people of God and he called them to remember God's faithfulness. He called them to be restored to a relationship with God. But then he reminded them that he was calling them to rebuild the temple. We see the same exact pattern in Nehemiah's day as Nehemiah would go to help them rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem. My point is this morning, there's a pattern. Take time to remember what God has done. Make sure you're in a right relationship with God in the present, but also recommit yourself to the work that he's calling you to do for his glory and for your future. We see that in Philippians chapter one. In fact, I believe over the past few weeks, we've had plenty of time to remember. Praise God for all that he's done. What God has done here is nothing short of a miracle. Amen. We praise God for what he's done. Last week, Pastor John came and he reminded us of that importance of being right in a relationship with God. Yes, we've got to deal honestly with the past so that we can be right with God in the present and trust him for the future. Well, what is that future? What is that purpose? What is that mission that God is calling us to today? What is it that for us as a believer, what is it for us as a church that God is calling us to be committed to today? 
I believe we find the answer loud and clear in Philippians chapter one in the verses that we read here this morning. I wanna ask you, if you're physically able, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? And as we do, I want us to hear loud and clear the mission, the goal, the vision, the direction of the church is found in these verses. And I wanna preach to you on the subject, striving together for the gospel. Striving together for the gospel. The apostle Paul pins these words and says this. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of what? The gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Now skip all the way down to the last phrase of verse 18. And what would you say if you were in prison today? You probably wouldn't say what Paul said. Listen to what he said. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Listen to the statement, verse 21. For to me, to live is who? Christ, and to die is gain. But if I'm to live on in the flesh, this is going to mean fruitful labor for me. And I don't know which way to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Listen to these final words of exhortation, verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That last statement again, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. Father, this is your word. And I pray that with it, you would speak to each of our hearts and lives today like a two-edged sword today. Father, I pray that you would use it to convict us, speak into our innermost heart, speak to our very soul today. And Father, as you do, I pray that we would be convicted I pray that we'd be comforted. And ultimately, I pray that we'd be changed for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. you. may be seated this morning. Striving together for the gospel. Let me ask you a question this morning that I want you to consider. It's very simple, and that is this. In your life today, what are you striving for? What are you striving for? Perhaps you're here today and you are a student, whether that means you are a young student, a high school student, or a college-age student, or someone saying, oh, I don't want to go back to school at all. Perhaps you're a student and you're thinking, you know, I'm striving for a certain grade. I'm striving to complete this, this class or this particular degree. Perhaps that's you. Maybe you're striving for a certain relationship or a certain level of commitment in that relationship, or maybe you're striving for a certain position at work, or you're striving for a certain place of financial security, or maybe you're striving for a certain place of influence in the culture around you. What are you striving for today? I'm convinced this morning that most of us are striving for something. We're living our life pursuing something, whether that be the job or the degree or the grade, the success, whatever the case would be, we're all striving for something. And I believe God is showing us to the Apostle Paul, if you're a child of God this morning, if you have been forgiven of your sins and have been saved, there is something very specific that we should all be striving for. But not only should we be striving for it, we should be striving for it together. Not being the Lone Ranger, but together working to encourage and to help and to, to motivate each other as we strive in that direction. The Apostle Paul said it this way in verse 27. He said, with one mind, we're to be striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, I don't know about you this morning, but I enjoy sports. Any, any sports fans here today? Very good. God can still love the rest of you as well, but, but many of us are sports fans today. 
The word for striving here in the Greek is a very unique word because from this word in the Greek, we get our English word athletics, or in other words, in our understanding, it would be sports, if you will. This is a sports term. And when Paul gives this statement of striving together, he has in mind an athlete. He has in mind someone who's participating on a team, how they're working together, each person doing their part, knowing their role, knowing their assignment, working together for the benefit of the whole. In athletics, if a single player is not going the right direction, it causes all sorts of chaos. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but some of the funniest things that I enjoy are sports bloopers. Because if one player on the team is in the wrong place, if one player on the team misses his assignment, it's amazing how quickly he can go from a hero to a zero. Tennessee fans, you know exactly what I'm talking about this morning, right? It's amazing one person that doesn't know their assignment, how quickly they can begin to look foolish and be hindered from their objective. We're going to show just a brief video in honor of this time of the year to remind us of what this might look like amongst a team of athletes. Guys, go ahead and show the video, please. I don't know if you're seeing this or not, but look closely at the color of the jerseys. Go Gators, right? Yeah, very, very good. When one person on a sports team misses their assignment and doesn't understand the role, it's crazy how full of, listen, if, if that would not be bad enough that the previous year, the same thing happened against another team from the same team, the Florida Gators. So pastor, what do you have against them? Absolutely nothing, but roll tide anyway. So what I would say is this. When you don't know your assignment, it's amazing how quickly you can miss and you can be distracted and you can be confused and ultimately miss the purpose for which you are there. What God is calling us in this pastor's scripture to do is this. He's saying, listen, Christian, I want you to understand your mission. I want you to understand your purpose. I want you to understand the assignment of which I've given you and I've called you to do as a believer and ultimately for us as a church today. As we look at Philippians chapter one, I believe there are several things that God wants us to see. see. See, we can laugh about it when we see it in the context of a sports blooper. We can laugh at it when we see it in the context of a game because at the end of the day, the game really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of life. There's not something of eternal significance that was happening in that one play. But please hear me, Christian. Our mission, our assignment, our calling, our purpose is so important because it's not the balance of a game that weighs on the line. It's the balance of eternity that is on the line. That there are people in this community and people in this world and people in our sphere of influence who need the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't get caught up with the wrong assignment, with the wrong direction. We can't get caught up with all the distractions and all the confusion, frankly, and all the petty arguments that don't matter in the grand scheme of things. We must be singular minded and singular focus on the calling of the gospel. That's what we see of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter one. And I believe he unpacks that for us in several different ways through his example and through his words of instruction or exhortation, if you will. So three observations I want us to make today about the gospel. The first thing is this, I want you to consider the commitment of the believer. The commitment of the believer. It should be the commitment of every child of God that the gospel would not be merely a part of our lives, but it would be the driving force of our lives. So much so that not only would we be, would be desirous of sharing the gospel with others, but that we would be committed to sharing the gospel with others no matter what comes our way. The gospel is so very simple. Sometimes we confuse that. Sometimes we make it more difficult than it is. In fact, if I were to, to go throughout the, the community here and ask people on the street, what is the gospel? There'd be all sorts of ideas and opinions. Sadly, even in the church today, if you ask someone the gospel, we have all sorts of ideas and opinions. We're not clear on what the gospel is. The gospel is the simple good news about Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came to this earth and lived a sinless life. He died as a substitute on the cross for your sins and for mine, and he rose again according to the scriptures. He came, he died, he rose again, and he offers forgiveness and eternal life to all who believe in him. The gospel is simple. 
That simple message that Jesus died, he rose again, and he offers eternal life to all who believe, it is so simple. And yet, even still today in 2019, it is every bit as powerful today as it was in that day when the scriptures were being recorded. Paul understood that. And so Paul, in the midst of his life, in the midst of the difficulties that he would face, I believe wholeheartedly he was committed to the proclaiming of the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. He understood its power. That's why Paul would say in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of what? The gospel, for it is the power. He didn't say something else. He didn't say it was something else. He said, no, it, the gospel, is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So, Pastor, what are you saying? I am saying that the Apostle Paul understood that the hope for all the world was found in one message and in one person. It's the message and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, think of that for just a moment. When the Apostle Paul was writing those words that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power unto salvation, when he wrote that, he was writing that to the believers in the city of Rome. Rome was the most powerful force in its day. Rome were the conquerors of the ancient world in that time. Rome had established legions of soldiers all throughout the ancient world. If anybody would boast of power in that day, it was Rome. In fact, the fear of Rome hovered all throughout the region. I mean, all throughout the world at that time. They were known as a powerful people. And yet the apostle Paul would look at their power to possess lands and to control nothing compared to the power of the gospel because it's only in the gospel that a man's soul can be saved. It's only through the gospel that blinded eyes can be opened to see. It's only through the gospel the spiritual, the dead, can be raised alive. It's only through the gospel that the sinners of the world can be saved and set free. Paul understood the power of the gospel. And so the Bible tells us in that context that no matter what he faced, he had a commitment to the gospel. Maybe you hear this one and say, well, that was easy for him. He was an apostle. He had a pretty radical experience with Jesus. That is true. But I want to remind us this morning that the truth of the gospel that was true for Paul is still true for us today. What are those truths? Number one, that the gospel is greater than our circumstances. The gospel is greater than our circumstances. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you facing a circumstance today? Some struggle, some trial that you're going through today. Even this morning, as I was out in the lobby welcoming people as they came into the services, uh, in the early service and even now before the second, there, there were a handful of people, three or four people that pulled me aside and said, Pastor, would you pray for me? And they shared with me what they're going through. They're facing circumstances, real circumstances. And oftentimes when we face those circumstances, we, we feel overwhelmed and we feel grieved. And at times we get distracted. And at times when we go through these hardships, we, we start to wonder, God, where are you in the midst of this? And how are you working in the midst of it all? Friend, I want to remind you this morning, it does not matter what you face here on this earth. The gospel is greater than our circumstances. And if we will look to God and trust him, guess what? He will use our circumstances as a platform for which the gospel will go further and progress. Amen. Listen to what the apostle Paul says here in verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Now, it's interesting to state here that this phrase, greater progress, we're going to see it again later in the text, it literally means a pioneer advancement. Paul says, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Now, what is he talking about? What kind of circumstances was Paul facing in this moment? Now, picture the scene for just a moment. Paul, for a long time, had wanted to get to Rome to share the gospel. In fact, in Paul's mind, well, hey, Rome's the city of the day. Rome is the powerful place of the day. If I can get to Rome and preach the gospel there, souls will be saved and lives will be changed. And if God's going to bring about a revival in this region, it's going to happen through Rome. So I got to get to Rome so that people can be saved, that the gospel can go forth. By the time Paul writes these words in the book of Philippians, Paul is having the opportunity to be in touch with Rome. But please hear me. He didn't arrive there as a preacher. He, he didn't get to this Roman opportunity as a great preacher like the Billy Graham with this great massive crowd coming to see him. That's not how he got there. No, when Paul's writing the book of Philippians, he is writing from a Roman prison. He's writing from a Roman prison. He's writing from a place literally where he has been taken into custody. He's under the authority of the Roman government. The Jews at that time hated the apostle Paul. 
Why? Because he was preaching a message about Christ that was completely opposed to the organized man-made religion that they had largely established. They hated it. And not only that, as people began to follow Jesus and people became Christians, there became this movement became known as Christianity, and the Romans didn't know what to think about it. They didn't know what to do about it. And so they took him into custody and they put him in prison. Now we know today, not only was he in prison, but he tells us in verse 13 that his imprisonment in the cause of Christ had become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Think of this for just a moment. We know today that the Praetorian Guard was a group of soldiers, 9,000 soldiers. They were the most influential and the most dependable soldiers of the entire region. They were the emperor's personal bodyguard. They were the people that the emperor would depend upon most. And so when they took Paul into custody, they put him under the care of the greatest leaders from a military perspective that Rome had to offer. We know today that the Praetorian Guard of these 9,000 men, they would rotate shifts every six hours. We also know that the Apostle Paul in this time literally was in chains bound at every hour of the day to one of the guards. Now, let me ask you just an honest question. What would you do in that moment if you were the Apostle Paul? I mean, just to be honest, as I'm thinking about this, what would I do if I was in prison today, chains around my hands and my feet, chained to an ugly guard beside me? What would I do? I'm just to be honest, I would be thinking of every way possible to try to get out of this mess. What, what, what angle do I have? What argument do I have? Who can I appeal to? I've been unjustly done wrong. Oh God, where are you in the midst of all this? God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? God, why is this circumstance taking place? But even in the midst of that prison, Paul knew something important. Even though his freedoms were limited, even though his circumstances overwhelming, even though his restrictions were very much ahead of him, he understood something important. He knew that the gospel was not bound. He knew that the gospel still had power. He knew that the gospel still had authority. And even though his freedoms were limited, he knew that the gospel could not be contained. Here's how he said it in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He said, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. Listen to this. For which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. The word of God is not in chains. The word of God is not restricted. He knew that the gospel was not bound. In fact, even as he was in prison, Paul knew that the only thing that could limit the gospel was his own silence. So here's Paul in this moment in the midst of circumstance and adversity and difficulty and frankly, all sorts of emotions and things, no doubt that would have been overwhelming. And even though his situation was bleak, he knew the power of the gospel was still as vibrant in that moment as it ever had been. And so he shared and he spoke. He shared the truth of who Jesus was, the truth of what Jesus had done. And he ministered as a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question this morning. What about you? Are there circumstances in your life that have gotten you down? Do you feel like you've been done wrong? Do you feel like life is overwhelming? Please understand this morning, don't get yourself in some pity party of despair and discouragement. Look above those things and in the midst of them all, give God the glory and share the truth of the gospel with others because as people see your hardship and as they see your circumstance, God will use it as a sounding board that the gospel will go into places you never dreamed possible. Paul could ultimately later look at this imprisonment and say, you know what? If it hadn't been for that imprisonment, the gospel wouldn't have probably been as far reaching as it was in Rome. Because what Paul began to do is Paul was chained to those prison guards as he began to talk to them about the Lord. He began to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ, of how he died and rose again from the grave that all who believe in him, even the Romans, they could be saved and forgiven. One by one by one, those guards began to hear the gospel message. Literally, Paul began to say it spread throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And guess what? While Paul was in chains and couldn't get all throughout Rome, guess who ended up taking the gospel message there? The guards who were saved and converted. So, Pastor, what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. God can do far greater in your life when you be faithful to share the gospel with others than you could ever imagine. Warden Wiersbe says it well. When you have the single mind, you look on your circumstances as God-given opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel. And you rejoice at what God is going to do instead of complaining about what God did not do. 
Paul was in this place where he understood the gospel was greater than his circumstances. But secondly, the gospel was also greater than his limitations. Now think of this for just a moment. This is not rocket science, but it's just a very practical observation. The apostle Paul was one man. He was not a superhero. He couldn't blink his eyes. He couldn't open his hand and spin some web and get himself out of this situation. He didn't have the technologies of Iron Man or any other superhero powers. He was a normal man, except for the fact that he had a deep abiding conviction of the Lord and a relationship with him. He had human limitations just like you and me. And so while he is there in jail, he literally cannot be two places at one time. There were people all over Rome that needed to hear the gospel message of Jesus Christ. There were people all over the place who needed to hear the truth of the gospel. And Paul was but one man. He could not get to them all. He literally was physically limited and restricted from taking the gospel message to everyone. And yet in the midst of his limitations, guess what? The gospel was greater than them too. Notice what the Bible says in verse 14. He says, most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Think of this, what's happening for a moment. There were believers all throughout the Roman Empire at this time. Now, it wasn't a common thing necessarily in the sense that they were experiencing great revival, but there were believers there, people who had believed in Jesus. But sadly, they were living there silent. They they were secret service Christians, if you will, okay? Very inconspicuous, not standing out, not being a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, not doing anything to seem different from the culture and the crowd around them. Paul alludes to the fact in verse 14, it's because they weren't living their life by trusting in the Lord. And yet, they hear of the apostle Paul in prison. Think of this for a moment. The apostle Paul is in prison, literally in chains, He's under the complete control and authority of one of the most wicked emperors that ever lived in the ancient world. So surely, if anyone's going to be silent, he's now in, literally, he's in prison for preaching the gospel message. So surely, if anybody will learn their lesson and be silent about Christ, by now, it's the Apostle Paul. But guess what he does? He's telling everybody about Jesus. I mean, on one hand, you're looking like, is he crazy? Doesn't he know? He got in prison for telling people, they're going to kill him. But the apostle Paul's telling them. And now that he's telling them, guess what's happening? People are being saved. Guards, hardened hearted guards, their hearts are being softened and they're repenting of sin and they're turning to Jesus and their life is being changed. And the believers in Rome are looking at this and thinking, I have all my freedoms. I don't have any chains. I'm not imprisoned. I mean, I can come and go as I want. I can eat what I want. I'm not in that situation. And yet I'm so silent. What's missing? Some of us are, man, man if I, I would love to lead someone to Christ, I, I would love to be like the Apostle Paul. See, many people come to Christ in my life. But here's the reality. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You don't flip a coin and hope for the best. You pray and seek the Lord and you be faithful to share the gospel truth of what he's done in your life and the truth of who Jesus is and what he came to do. What begins to happen is the gospel is greater than his limitations. And so even though Paul couldn't get to everyone, the believers throughout Rome, the Bible says they began to have courage. They began to not be overwhelmed with fear. What did Paul tell Timothy? He said, listen, God has not given us a spirit of a fear, but of power and of love and of a same mind. So don't be ashamed of the testimony of the gospel. In 2019, Christians, I know a long ways has happened since the book of Philippians, but we need to hear that. Many must walk by and live with, with fear of uncertainty. What are they going to say? What are they going to do? Maybe they'll reject me as a friend. Maybe I won't get that promotion. Listen to God be the glory. Let's be a faithful witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. In spite of Paul's limitations, the believers around him were encouraged and they were emboldened to be a witness for the Lord. And so the gospel was greater than his limitations. Do you have any limitations hindering you today from sharing the gospel? Anything hindering you today from sharing the gospel? Maybe something physical that's a hindrance, maybe something mental, maybe something just just emotional. There's a fear that's there. There's a caution that's there. What's limiting you Many of us this morning have heard about the preacher of yesteryears, a few hundred years ago, named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was often noted as the prince of preachers. God used him in extraordinary ways, but very few people 
have heard the story of his wife, Susanna Spurgeon. Charles and Susanna were married in 1856 in January, and shortly after their marriage, she became pregnant. Early on in that pregnancy, she began to have complications. By the end of the year, she delivered their precious twins. But she had major complications throughout the entire pregnancy and ultimately in the delivery process. And the process of delivering those children, she, became, she gave, uh, took on some health ailments and some health issues that frankly uh, debilitated her in many ways for the rest of her life. For the rest of her life, she wouldn't go out in public very often. She spent several months at different periods of her life completely bedridden. She had all sorts of limitations and issues and things that hindered her and it grieved her. She wanted nothing more but then to serve the Lord, nothing more but then to encourage her husband and support the ministry that God was doing through him. And yet, physically, she just literally was so limited in what she could do. One day, Charles Spurgeon came home and he told her about a book that he was in the process of writing, something that God had put on his heart. And he gave her a rough draft copy of a book that became later known as Lectures to My Students. It was a rough draft. It was very informal at the time, but he said, I want you to read through this and and give me your honest opinion. Please critique it. Tell me your thoughts. And so she read through it over the next several weeks. And finally, she came back to him and she said, Charles, I believe this is directly from God. I believe that every preacher in England, every young pastor in England, every man of God needs a copy of this book. And so he looked at her with a very interesting but yet challenging question. He said, then why not do so? Exact question, how much will you give? How much will you give? If God's put it on your heart to make sure that every preacher in England gets a copy of this book, how much will you give? And that question she struggled with and she wrestled with, what can I give? I'm literally, in many ways, I'm disabled and I'm bedridden and I can't even get out. What can I possibly do to promote this and to get the gospel message and the equipping of pastors all throughout England? What can I do? And God began to speak to her heart and God began to convict her and she began to reach out to friends and ask for financial support and she reached out to others through various publications at that time. When all was said and done, Tens of thousands of copies of his books and his sermons went all throughout England. Little did she know that her actions and her efforts created such a demand that still to this day, Charles Spurgeon is one of the most published authors and preachers that the world has ever seen. His books and his writings have been printed in more languages than we can fathom. And that first book is required reading in every evangelical seminary in this country. 200 years ago. Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying regardless of your limitations, when you have a desire to honor God and you're willing to give your best to him and you're willing to do whatever it takes, God will show you that the gospel is greater than even your limitations. Second thing I want you to see this morning, if you're still with me, would you say, I am? I want you to consider the conviction of the believer, the conviction of the believer. The apostle Paul understood that the gospel would go forth. As long as we're committed to sharing that gospel and making sure it's loud and clear, God will move in a powerful way for the progress of the gospel in the lives of others. But what was driving that? What was driving that I believe is found in verses 18 through 26, but especially in verse 21, and that is the conviction of the believer. Now ponder the scene for a moment. The apostle Paul didn't have a crystal ball. He couldn't look into the future and understand every detail that was going to happen. He is under Roman authority in this moment. And frankly, Paul doesn't know if he's going to make it out alive. Paul didn't know if he was going to make it another day. He wasn't sure. And in this moment, Paul begins to think about heaven. He begins to think about the glories of heaven. He begins to think, no doubt, about the, the streets of gold. He begins to think about being in the presence of Jesus, seeing him face to face. He, he's thinking of all these things and he's pondering them and he's going through, back and forth in this balance of, man, I'd love to be in heaven and life would be grand and glorious. And at the same time, Paul begins to think about the present. He begins to think about the people throughout the world that still need the gospel message. He begins to think of the believers like those in Philippi who still need to be strengthened and encouraged and equipped that they might grow in their relationship with the Lord. And it leads him to a very clear conviction, verse 21. Here's what he said. As Paul ponders whether he would live or die, he makes this statement. For to me, personal statement, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. When Paul says, for to me, he is making a personal statement. He's speaking for himself. Here's a reality. When you and I stand before God one day, we will stand before God as ourselves. 
Today, even as we live our life, we can encourage each other and we can challenge each other. I can encourage you in God's word, but here's the reality. When it boils down to your passions and your drive and your motivations and your convictions in your life, when it's all said and done, only you can determine those. So I ask a question this morning, and that is this. To you, what is life? What is it that drives you? What is it that motivates you? What is it that you are passionate about? Here with the Apostle Paul, we see a few specific things. We learn of his conviction. And the first thing I would say is this. He had a conviction of surrender. Paul didn't know if he's going to make it out alive. He didn't know what the future held. But in this moment, he brings his life to a summary statement. And that statement is this. Because I know Jesus, if I die in this moment, there's going to be great gain. I will be in heaven for all of eternity. But if I go on living, if God gives me life and breath to live what does he say is Christ. In other words, Paul was saying, Jesus is life. My life is all about Christ. My passion is all about him. The things that excite me, it's Jesus. The thing that drives me, it's Jesus. The things that motivates me, it's Jesus. To live is Christ. Causes me to wonder this morning, how would we fill in the blank? To live is what? Maltby Babcock, a writer of many years ago, said life is what we are alive to. So today, when we look at our life and examine ourselves, the things that we typically invest our time, our resources, and our energy into will reveal what is most important to us and what our life is really about. So fill in the blank for a moment. For you, to live is what? Sports? They're fun and they can teach them great life lessons, but what will they matter in eternity? Well, for, to me, to live is business. Well, business can be good. It can establish relationships and ultimately may have an eternal purpose, but business will come and go. Well, for to me, to live is wealth and prosperity. And when you die, your wealth will go to other people. It won't be eternal. Well, for to me, to live is position and power and influence. Yes, but in the end, those things will not save your soul. Well, here's a hard one. Well, for to me, to live is family. Family's wonderful. It's given by God for his glory and for his purposes. But there is no family member around you who can save your soul and give you purpose and meaning that lasts beyond the here and now. For to me, to live is what? The apostle Paul said it loud and clear. He understood that the passion, the drive, the motivation, the key to it all was to live is Christ. It's a conviction to surrender. But secondly, it's also a conviction to service. Notice what the apostle Paul said. He said, listen, as he's thinking about it, weighing it all, man, to die is gain, but to live, it is Christ. Here's what he comes to the conclusion. He comes to the conclusion that God is not done with him yet. God has given him life and God has given him breath. And Paul understood there's a reason for all that. There's a reason God gave him life and breath. There's a reason God didn't take him to heaven yet. And so he says in verse 22, if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. It's a conviction of service. Here's Paul. Listen, Paul didn't see service as an option for him. Paul didn't see serving the Lord as a temporary season of responsibility. For him, it was a wholehearted, lifelong commitment to the Lord. And he would look and he would say, if God gives me life and breath, it's going to mean fruitful labor to me so that you might progress, so that you might grow in the joy of your faith. Again, that word progress, it's a pioneer advancement. In this moment, Paul is looking at the world around him that was in need of the gospel, and he's looking at the believers around him that were in need of edification and encouragement. And he was saying, if I'm to live, it will be for God's glory and for your good. Let me ask you a question, believer. If Jesus is true, your Lord and Savior. How are others around you progressing in their walk with the Lord because of your encouragement and your strengthening in their life? How are others being edified through your service and ministry to them? How are others growing in the Lord 
through your ministry and service to them. It's a conviction to service. C.S. Lewis said it this way, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. You know what he was saying? He is saying, when you begin to think of heaven and ponder what eternity really is all about, it will begin to give clarity and purpose and meaning to the work that God calls you to do until you get there. That's what he's saying. Third thing I want you to see, and we'll close our time here together. I want you to consider the calling of the believer. The calling of the believer. If you're still with me, would you say, all right? What does God say specifically through the Apostle Paul about our calling? He sums it up in verse 27. Paul comes to the conclusion that God's going to continue to give him life and breath. Paul comes to the conclusion that he's continuing to minister. But here's what Paul didn't know. Paul didn't know if he would ever see the Philippians face to face again. He didn't. He didn't know when he would see them or if he would see them. And so he wrote these final words of instruction that every child of God needs to hear and apply this morning. He says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or remain silent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. What's that calling? First, we must stand firm together. Satan will do anything and everything he can to divide and to distract and to destroy Ultimately, because his desire is to rob God of the glory that he deserves. And when I'm, te- I'm telling you, when we are a people who are focused on loving people where they are and sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ, Satan will do anything and everything that he can to rob you of the unity and the purpose and the mission that God has called us to. So Paul says, stand firm together. In fact, you can read later this week in chapter one, Paul goes on to tell them there's gonna be difficulty and adversity and there's gonna be all sorts of attacks that come against you, but you stand firm together. But secondly, and here's where I'll close, we must strive together for the progress of the gospel. We must strive together for the progress of the gospel. Again, that word progress, it's the idea of a pioneer advancement, that there are places to go, there are people to hear, there are people to be reached, that the fields are widened to harvest, but we must be faithful to take the gospel. But notice, we are to strive together for the progress of the gospel. You know, here at Crosslink, we have said now for several years that our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So many people have talked to me about that statement of impact in the valley and blessing the nations. And to be honest with you, that phrase has a certain catchy ring to it, doesn't it? In fact, I've seen from some of you that has a, it makes a cool hashtag on social media in some ways. Put it on bracelets and t-shirts and it sounds good. But I'm convinced this morning that the greatest part of that statement are the final five words, the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are many community organizations. There are many worldwide global causes that do a great deal for humanitarian aid. From medical supplies to fresh wells in various countries to ministering and helping kids in different situations and capacities. And all those things are wonderful and noble and good and certainly needed. But please understand that the hope of all the world is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saying we shouldn't do those other things, but I am reminding us this morning that it is only the gospel message that Jesus died, that he rose again, and that he gives eternal life to all who believe. It is, the only, gospel, it is only the gospel that will save men's soul and set them free. Only the gospel is the hope of the world. And our calling as a church is to be faithful to take that gospel message beginning in this valley and even to the ends of the earth. Paul was in a place where he didn't know the end result. He didn't know how this was all gonna work out for him in prison, but here's what he did know. He knew that the power of the gospel still had the power to change and to save. And Paul said, I'm committed and I challenge you as a church, be faithful and be committed. Strive together for the faith of the gospel. Church, as I close this message, I wanna encourage you, we'll unpack these more in the next four weeks, but let me just briefly state to you Five ways I believe we as a church need to strive together for the gospel in the coming season of ministry. 
Five things. You can write them down in your sermon notes if you want. We're going to unpack them over the next four weeks. First, we need to strive together for the gospel in the way we have discipleship. We've been talking about the last two weeks, this Equip You ministry that's beginning on September the 22nd. Please know this is not just a Sunday evening program. This is not just to fill a calendar because Pastor Terry and others needed something to do on Sunday night. That's not what we're doing, okay? The whole purpose of that opportunity and that training is to help us become fully devoted and mature followers of Christ. There are many people who are new believers that have never understood what it means to have a personal walk with the Lord. There are many of us who've been Christians for 15 and 20 years, and we've never had anyone explain to us the basic doctrines of the Bible. And so the purpose of this Equip You ministry literally is beginning this, this uh, two weeks from now, this fall, but every semester over the next several years, we will be adding new classes to it and new opportunities to help us grow in some core areas so that we can be, become mature followers of Christ. Discipleship. The second area of striving together is in the area of missions. God has done an incredible work as it relates to missions here at Crosslink over the past few years. But as we look forward to 2020, I believe God is establishing Crosslink to expand further for further effectiveness than we've ever seen before. God is blessing in that. God is helping us to strengthen our partnership with Salem Church in Staten Island as they plant a new church. God has strengthened that partnership in Montreal with Voyage Church as they have officially launched and that church has now begun. God has strengthened our partnership with Nicaragua because we care ministries. Literally, we're praying even now about a specific village to pray about that we might adopt as our personal area of ministry for further effectiveness and long-term impact. This past summer, Brother Daniel Kovitko and I went to the Ukraine where we went and we ministered and we met Open Door Ministries and we began to consider what would it look like to equip and train pastors all throughout the region and plant churches where literally there are thousands of people with not a single gospel-centered church. These are all things that God is putting before us in the coming season of ministry. As we strive together for the gospel, not only are we considering missions as we think globally, but we're looking at the opportunities of church planting and church revitalization right here in the valley. In fact, you may not know this, but already in this valley, God has blessed in such a way that God has brought pastors and other ministries forward who are seeking help and seeking guidance and seeking prayer and seeking encouragement as it relates to revitalization in the ministries that they're currently leading. At the same time, while that's happening, God is also putting on our hearts specific locations and communities where there is not a gospel-focused church right here in this valley. Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying when we strive together, God is leading us towards the direction of church planting and church revitalization. When I think about striving together for the gospel, I'm reminded of fourth way is through our community involvement and community impact. God has allowed us through strategic partnerships to barely be a light through FCA and through AvaCare and Salvation Army and other things. But can I remind us as we look into this next season through every community group, through the church as a whole, and hopefully through every family that we will literally have lighthouses all throughout this community that are equipped and trained to be missionaries for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But finally, as we consider all that God is doing, something that's gonna make us a little uncomfortable we have to plan and prepare and begin expanding our facilities. As we're sharing the gospel in this community, as we're sending people out, as the Lord sends people out to plant churches and to help where there is needed, uh, there's need, as we continue to further what God is doing to the ends of the earth, impacting the valley and blessing the nations with the gospel, as that happens, God is going to continue to grow this church, I believe, for his glory. Amen. And truth be told, much of that's already happening. When we have a vacation Bible school where our goal is to share the gospel with children so that their souls will be saved and their lives will be changed, but we have to put a limit to how many kids can actually come, our facility is an issue. And when it's that case, it's time for us to make sure that whatever those hindrances are, that for the, for the Lord's glory and for the good of others, that we get them out of the way and we walk forward in faith and in obedience. Amen. So pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that the calling is clear. For every believer, for every church, for us here at Crosslink, the calling is clear. Our lives should be for God's glory and for the progress of the gospel. The apostles Go study their life. When you study their life, they could say that their mission, their motto would be this, our life for the glory of God and the progress of the gospel. And ultimately, they would give their life for that cause.
my hope and prayer in my own life, my hope and prayer for us here at Crosslink is we would say loud and clear through our actions of care and concern and love for others, through our faithfulness in sharing the gospel, that it would be loud and clear. Our lives are lived for the glory of God and for the progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, I'm convinced that all hell cannot hinder what God will do. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for what you're doing in our life. We thank you for what you're doing in Crossing. You've been so good to us. We recognize your faithfulness. And God, at the same time we recognize your faithfulness, we also realize we have a responsibility today. So I pray in Jesus' name that you would be glorified. I pray in Jesus' name that you would have your way in our hearts and lives, that we would be surrendered to you. God, I pray that it would be loud and clear for my life that to live is Christ. God, I pray that it would be true in my life that whatever that takes, whatever that costs, wherever that means to go, and whoever that means to share with, God, I pray it would be true that my life is lived for the glory of you and for the progress of the gospel. It is the hope of the world. I'm reminded of its power because it changed my life. I'm reminded of its power because I've seen how it's been at work in the lives of so many people sitting before me right now. And the way that you have transformed us, we're so grateful. But God, I pray today that we would not be content to sit complacently on our successes of what you've done here over the past 10 years. May we be like Paul, forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead. But Paul had already touched two continents for the gospel and he could have been so content to sit there and think he had done his part, but he wasn't. He, he knew that you gave him life and a breath and so he surrendered that to you and he committed that to you. God, I pray that would be true in our lives today. Have your way in our lives, I pray right now. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.